Hey, hi, Mariana. Hi. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Cool. I'm at, at work today, so it's good. Change a little bit. I was in home office for, I don't know, almost the entire time until now. And then I'm slowly coming back to work, which is nice. I see some new faces or some old faces. So it's nice to be back. I like it. Welcome to a new episode of the Better Teams podcast. Vincent here, and I will be your host today. This podcast is about building better teams because that's what my co-host Max and I love doing and we have the strong belief that with great sustainable team dynamics you can achieve anything. This podcast is your space to grow in terms of management and leadership and to meet people with real life experience in developing individuals into high performing teams. Thank you for listening. In this episode, I am thrilled to introduce you to Mariana Machado. Mariana worked at Accor for 13 years. Now she is VP Global Cultural Transformation, and she was nice enough to join us and walk us through the whole journey of transformation of the organization. They started within the company as a small group of rebels with one goal, putting people first. Now it's a worldwide transformation, touching more than 200,000 people Without further ado, let's join Mariana and let's discuss how the Accor company transformed itself. When we first talked together originally to prepare this interview, you told me that you realized afterwards, retrospectively, how your career was built in some ways, how it made sense. So let's talk a bit about you first. What do you do now and how did you come to that? Thank you for asking this because it's not an easy thing to explain because I do know that I have a kind of unique journey. But as you said, in the end, it makes sense. <laughs> so today I'm responsible for the global cultural transformation at Accor, which is in a very simple way, it's how we transform this company in a sense that whatever we do, people come first. People meaning the guests, people meaning the employee, people meaning family, everything. So how people come first. So this is what I do today. And how did I get here? Well, uh, I'm at Accor. Let me do the count for 13 years right now, 13, 14 years. I started not as a trainee, but I started young here. And I always worked in marketing. So I was in a hotel, I was sales and marketing in a hotel, then I went to headquarters and I loved marketing, a marketing baby. And I always loved this idea of how can we talk directly to the guests, to the client and the personalization kind of thing. I was in the early beginnings of personalize, how the emails started with your name on, you know, like this time. I was there. I found that very interesting to say, well, now they know me, they can personalize the offers, they can personalize communications. So I was very into that. And because I always liked this kind of personalization style, I liked it more to discover about people. Because if you want to personalize, you need to understand who are you talking with. So I was into knowing people. And I developed myself, my career on that. So from marketing, I went to B2B marketing, and then I went to CRM and then loyalty. I did all this career into knowing people, knowing the client, but it was always about people. I was invited to come to Paris to continue this job about CRM and personalization and then digitalization came in. It was all these nice names, segmentation and stuff. And I always loved this thing about, well, what can I learn about you as a customer, as a segment, as the person who arrives in the hotel? I was always connected to the people. But I wasn't happy in the CRM anymore. I, I arrived to a point that I wasn't, I was far away 
from what I wanted to do, what I love to do, which was to learn about people. And talking to a person, which was a colleague of mine here at Accor, who just asked me the right question. It's funny because thinking backwards, wasn't even somebody that I had a confidence relationship or somebody that really knew me. Well, just somebody who started asking me questions about my future at Accor. And she said, well, I see your profile in the HR because, I mean, you're all about people. And that's what we need in this company. We need people that think about people. And I was like, well, I never thought about it. You know, I mean, I come from business marketing. It was about performance, ROI and all that stuff. And suddenly HR was just like a different world. And then she said, but there's a project in the company that made me think of you. Why don't you go and watch this presentation? And then I went there and there was this cultural presentation in the beginning of it. I mean, it was just a project back then. And I remember when I saw the presentation, I, I went to the lady who was presenting and I said, by the way, I want to work with you. You don't know me. I have no background on HR, but please, if you have a place for me, I accept to serve coffee, but just let me be a part of it because this is what I believe as a person. And what she was talking back then is about how we should, at a hospitality company, focus on our employees and the satisfaction and engagement of our employees in order to achieve a guest satisfaction. So she was talking about this power that we have as people to connect with each other. And there, by that connection, we can transform the experience. And when she said that, I was like, of course, this is it. This is the power that we have, you know, people with people, recognizing people, valuing people. This is what I love. This is what I always had in the back of my head when I thought about marketing, when I thought about personalization, when I thought about CRM, it was all about valuing the people. So lucky for me, there was a job opening three months after. And that woman that I requested a job became my boss. That was three years and a half, more or less. And now here we are. <laughs> I'm here with her, like leading this cultural transformation. You mentioned being a marketing baby, very much into collective data to better understand your clients' needs and behaviors or to reach out to them more personally. And I guess for many people, marketing can be seen as a way to use people as well, to sell them more things, to create fake relationships, right? So how do you make sure to create real value and to serve people? people better in the end, authentically? I truly believe in the power of intention to start with. So yes, you can learn about people and use that against them. Like I'm saying, you can, you can profit for that just to sell it more. And a lot of them, or perhaps the majority of them do. I always believe in free will. So if I can protect my company, even though I'm not here to do that, every time we did an action, when we talk about personalization, we were extremely careful first to always leave it open to the guests or to the client to decide if they want to share or not their information with us. But second, if the power of our intention is real, we have to show it. And that means that if we are asking for your information to personalize something for you, I have to show it what does that mean. Does that mean personalize an offer? Or does that mean personalize your stay when you arrive in a hotel? And I do know that you love PSG, so I'm putting you a little note from Neymar in your room. That is a completely different thing because the value of what you do needs to be recognized by those that you're doing to, not by me or not by my boss or not by my revenue. And you're going to recognize that either by saying or either by coming again. That's it. There's no uh, magic. So for me, the personalization and the authenticity goes through that. If you want to get the data to personalize, you might as well do something with it that the guest or whoever is in front of you 
see the value of it, the value of giving you that information. Because if you don't, first of all, he should have the choice to say no. And second, you're losing your time or your money because it takes a lot of time and money to collect and treat and to personalize stuff, you know. And that's what I believe we did good at Accor. And if you see not only in the employee perspective, but in the guest perspective with everything that we're doing with all and all the marketing campaigns and all the personalization that we do, it's much more linked to that, to the experience that you have, then to the discount you're going to get or to the upselling that you're going to get. It's very much linked to the experience then to the money attached. And of course, the experience drives revenue. I don't fool anybody, but we prefer to focus on that. Let's dive into the transformation in itself. How did it work? At Accor, when all this project started, there was one main belief that was clear for everybody. And that was in order for us to improve our guest satisfaction, our guest experience, whatever we wanted to do with the guest, we needed to focus on the employee because we were in that period of time. I don't know if you remember, but Accor, a few, few years ago, we were hit by Airbnb. We were hit about a lot of players, OTAs and stuff that entered the hospitality business. And we looked and he said, how can we survive? I mean, if you look at booking.com, they didn't have any physical structure. They were just a distribution. So how could we compete with that? How can we compete with Airbnb where they don't have anything again? So we were facing this kind of struggle. And the answer was, we have the guests in front of us. None of the others have. Booking doesn't have access to the guests. Airbnb doesn't have access to the guests. We do. And when they're in front of us, it's up to us to make them love what we do. So having that in our head, the first belief was that if we want to transform that, we need those who are in front of the guests, the employees. So this link between employee experience and guest experience was very clear to start with. And this is very important. Then we said, okay, if we need the employees to transform the way they serve the guests, the way they treat the guests, we need to ask them what drives them to do that, what drives them in the morning why they want to work at Accor and not at Mary or not at any other company. Why Accor? And that's what we did. So it always started like that. So we went around the world. We did five workshops in different regions with people from all different kinds of jobs, all different countries to be able to have the biggest mix of vision that we could. We also valued people who had experience in different brands. So a lot of people worked in an EBS and in an hotel. So we wanted this kind of people to understand how did they see a core in the future and what do they believe should be the company in five, 10 years? It was more than 10 questions, but there were some direct questions like, what do you expect from us as a company? What do you expect from a company that you work with? And with all the discussion, we came back with what we have today that is a core DNA which is directly linked with, as I said, what the employees must feel. So in order for them to transform their behavior, and then they're going to transform the experience. So we have four uh, main employee experience that we want to achieve. It's a constant work. It's not something that is done, which is the employee to feel valued, free, sparked, and the sense that in the company we are one. And if we manage to do that, the employee will treat the guest in a sense that the guest will feel heartwarmed, welcome, incredible, and that he also belongs to our big community. This is the base of the cultural transformation. So once we had that in our hands, we said, okay, now what? What do I do with all this? How do I actually make my employee feel valued, free, sparked? And that's when my job work started. <laughs> I have one question about intention and how the project was born and led. Because I see more and more articles promoting design thinking, for example, and encouraging HR professionals to think like designers. And I must say I'm a bit puzzled on that topic. 
Uh, I do think it has a lot of value, but if we talk about acquiring the mindset to ask your target, your client, your end user first, I truly think it requires a shift and a commitment from all the company, a shared intention first. So how did it work for you at Accor? Well, that principle about guest uh, satisfaction and employee experience was a principle validated by the head of HR. That was more or less about it. As I told you, we did not know what would be coming from that. We were a little bit of a rebel back then in a sense that we were really going to see what was coming up. We had an idea because the, the person leading this, which is my boss today, she came from operations. So she already knew that this is the answer because she was in a hotel before. So she had experience on that. But of course, when you put that in a global level, you still don't know if you're going to have the same answers as your own region, you know. But this was not a decision made by COMEX validation in the beginning of it. You were just like, perhaps this is the way to go. Since we didn't know which way was that, there wasn't much discussion back then. And I think going back to your design thinking thing, what I think what's going on now is people is realizing more and more that you have to listen to who you want to talk first. And then you start your process of creation. And even though there's a lot of techniques to do that, design thinking is still one of the biggest ones. That's why people are coming back with it. Because now you see that, you know what? If you create without asking those that you want to talk to what they want, you're not going to succeed anymore. Coming back to the transformation, you mentioned the Accor DNA, the four values created from your different workshops. And then what happened after the workshops? How did you include employees to make them change how they feel? To come up with these four values, it was hours of discussions. We're talking about big workshops, which a lot of things came up in a more practical way, and that became the value afterwards. So what we did was, was we collected everything that was said in the workshops from all of them, and we worked with a company which is ex expert in cultural transformation. So that we call an expert in the house, and with her, we created uh, what we call the transformation journey which was exactly what you said, the translation of these values into attitudes, more or less, into ways of thinking, like in a mindset kind of thing, to make people in the field understand why it was so important for them to change their way of being. We worked a lot in the mindset perspective of people, what feeling free, for example, means. So we worked with this expert to say, okay, we want them to feel free. What did they say to come up with feel free? What did they say that represented in the hospitality business? For example, they said about the script in the reception. When you check in, usually some hotels or some brands, you have a script that you have to say. And that's one of the things that came up as, well, if you're free, you have no script, for example. So based on that, we structured a L&D program, which back then we call a learning program, but it's not a learning or a training. It's a journey, actually, with activities and with concepts that we presented to each hotel that made them change their mind regarding what it means to feel free, what it means to feel value, what it means to feel spark. So that's more or less what we did. And that became a journey of four moments together in a hotel level. And in a macro level, five days that we presented everything to those who were training in the regions. We couldn't train everybody, right? Global level, we couldn't train. So what we did was, in a global level, we called for volunteers in the regions and say, who wants to be a part of this cultural transformation? You didn't need to have any training experience or being in a level, in a job, description, whatever. It's free, it's up to you, it's a volunteer base, including because this was on top of their job at the time. 
So we had 160 volunteers from all around the world. And what we did was we trained them on the concept and on the experience they needed to deliver. They went on to their own regions and trained what we call transformers. So each hotel should have a minimum of two people responsible of learning this concept and this content. So those who we train, we call them super transformers, train the transformers, and then the transformers train a hotel. So it was really a cascade effect. You are listening to the Better Teams podcast. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. Did you know that my co-host Max is very active on YouTube? He produces weekly videos to share practical content for first-time leaders directly from his extensive experience. If you'd like to discuss management and leadership topics, you should definitely check it out. Go to Max Castera on YouTube after this episode, of course. But for now, let's go back to our conversation. Where are you now in the process of transforming the culture at ACO? I joke around that we did the first step. Huh? We just settled the base. People should come first. That's clear. Everybody understands. Everybody wants to be a part. Everybody believes on that. So now it comes a more of a transversal way of putting the culture there in the company. For example, if I believe a receptionist should be free to say whatever she wants to the guests, if she believes that will increase the guest experience, perhaps the profile that I'm hiring to now is not the same anymore. So there's something to be done in the recruitment process. Or on the other way around, the way that I evaluate my receptionist is not the same anymore. So that should change. Or before I would have, uh, I love that one. For example, before we always said that housekeepers are not in the guest satisfaction. I mean, besides cleaning the room, she doesn't have any contact with the guest. And after our program, we have seen more and more the power of leaving a little note for the guest in the room or personalizing something inside the room based on what she saw or she experienced. So we see the power that they have in the experience. So that changes completely as well. So there's a lot of things that are transforming the way we value our employees. And that means some process. That means some leadership, the way we deal with them, uh, the way we give them the culture of accepting that I'm free to do whatever I want. Perhaps what I do, the guests will not like it. And it's okay because not everybody's going to like this kind of approach. So all this culture, that's so much to be done still. In the whole journey of transformation, were you surprised sometimes? And what surprised you the most? A lot of things surprised me because let me tell you, it's a journey that it was as big for the company as it was for me. Huh? And personally, I say. The first thing that surprised myself is the power of self-knowledge. The power of understanding yourself and valuing yourself and feeling comfortable enough with yourself in order to do better, in order to be a better person at work, at a family. This is something that uh, we did a lot of activities towards that and to see how people actually start reflecting and accepting who they are and the emotions that come with it and, and the power of it. It surprised me in a good sense, like, wow, how powerful this is. Because I saw that this is not only for work, huh? it became bigger than just work. So this is one of the things. The second thing is that we all want to be yourself, ourselves. There's nobody, doesn't matter the culture, doesn't matter where you are and what your job is. You want to feel good about yourself. You want to go to work and feel recognized. Even if you are in the most in the box kind of thing, even if you are in the most format country in the world, you still want to be recognized for who you are. And this is something that really uh, caught my attention because a lot of people in a lot of countries, 
has this kind of a mask when it comes to work. Like, no, but you're not supposed to do like that. But at work, we don't do like that. But deep inside, nobody, I can say that for sure, nobody feels comfortable in having to put a mask to go to work and taking that off when, when he leaves. So this is something that it's like, it's crystal clear for me right now after all these experiences. And all the difference is what makes us the best of it. I mean, the world is just full of different things, different cultures, but yet deep inside, we are all people, you know? So I love this kind of feeling that yet we're so different, but we are the same in the same time, you know? It's very powerful, very, very powerful. How do you take off the mask? I mean, how do you make sure to empower employees to do that? I think this leads us directly to the topic of diversity and inclusion. Um, so I'd like to ask you, how do you ensure diversity? And what does it mean then to include people? Each person has a different limit. So perhaps what it means take off the mask for you doesn't mean the same to you. Or for me, doesn't mean the same to you. So each person has their own time and their own uh, rhythm and acceptance of what they feel comfortable with. The big thing is about feel free. Do what you feel comfortable of doing it. If you feel comfortable of being inside the box, like there are some people who feel comfortable having something to follow, to have, have somebody telling them what to do. That's what brings confidence to them. Other needs to be free and do whatever they want. Each person is different. And when we talk about this freedom, it's about recognizing that. Recognizing that uh, for uh, Vincent, I need to tell him, okay, this is what you have to do this day. I need you to finish this. And for you, that's the freedom you wanted. I'm going to do that. And I, and I know I'm good at it. And I'm going to do my best on that. For Mariana, I need just to let her know what she has to do in the end of the day and let her do whatever she wants. Because if I tell her what to do, she's going to feel completely controlled. So each person has his own limit. And when you assume that, you as a person by saying, I'm okay, it's okay if I don't want to go further. And it's okay if he doesn't want to go further. And you have to be okay that people are complex and that they are different. And that taking off the mask for some people can be really hard. Or for some people just saying, hi, how are you doing? That is taking off the mask. Because they never said bonjour in the elevator, you know. And now they're asking you how you're doing. That's bigger than bonjour. So each one has their own rhythm. I think it all goes to trust to start with. You trust your people and you trust who is above you in the sense of saying, I'm comfortable doing that because I trust that whatever I do, I'm not going to be judged. There are not going to be prejudice in whatever I'm doing. And this is very powerful. I, I experienced that in my own skin as a Brazilian coming to France. Huh? In the beginning of my experience, I had a hard time being accepted because I was too Brazilian. And it took me a while to, to accept that this is me. I cannot change that. And for sure, I'm not going to please everybody, but there will be others that's going to be very well happy to talk to me. And that's life. So this kind of acceptance, this kind of freedom that it gives for you to be yourself, that's for me taking off and putting on the mask. I'm not, I'm talking to you as a Mariana the same way that I talk if I go to a meeting with the Comex, you know, that doesn't change. I think it touches diversity and inclusion because one thing it's clear is that diversity and inclusion, it's everywhere and it's in every decision. For me, I really don't believe that there should be any confusion on that matter. Either you accept everybody as they are, either you don't, point. And that enters behaviors, that enters the color of your skin, that enters the nationality, that enters whatever. In a company as big as a core, we truly believe on that. All our procedures, everything, it's on that base. But a core is made of people. And the judgment is done in a people level, not in a, in a company level. So that's why it's so important to have a lot of the mo uh, movements and a lot of people speaking up about this because you cannot control how people feel. You need to make them understand they're wrong, but you cannot control them. So of course, you're going to go different places and perhaps you're going to find somebody who just doesn't treat women the same. But 
it's not in the company policy. And that's more and more we are fighting against it. So you see the more and more initiatives in, in a regional level and in a global level to stop that and to educate people on that. And of course, in the company, we don't tolerate any of those things, but it's a mindset of people. I cannot stop people of judging me inside the company because I'm Brazilian, but the company doesn't tolerate any attitude towards me on that. That's more or less where I want to go. If you had to share your experience with other HR professionals or other organizations through this podcast, how would you summarize key elements, maybe, of the success of this transformation? Well, for me, it's people first. With all the complexities and all, all that comes with it, it's people first. If for every decision we make, we ask ourselves, how does that person feel? we are going to transform the world because then everything will follow. If you look at the person more than a KPI, that transforms what you do. Doesn't mean that the results won't follow. It will follow because uh, it's, I mean, it's not me that's saying this. People are happy. They work better. You know, the, the results come much better. But imagine this. If you have to fire somebody because you're in a crisis, you have to. You have no choice. But you have a choice of how you do that. If you put people first, you're going to understand and have empathy of that situation. You're going to respect that person. You're going to see that what, what you're going to say is going to devastate that person. And it's okay. And you accept that. And with that into mind, you go and fire the person. It's going to be a completely different experience to the person who is being fired than by somebody who just said, you know what, you know, you saw the crisis, it's the number, bye, right? So when you put people first, you change your perspective towards respect. You change your perspective towards empathy about how you would, would like to be treated if you were you on that place. You value so many things. You value emotions. You value, you value family. You value uh, uh, happiness. There's so many things that comes along that we wouldn't dare to talk in the corporate uh, environment. And now it's key because we know the, the, the rates of burnouts are bigger than ever. People are more and more like complaining about their environment at work. So we can no longer afford it. We need to take care of our own, you know. So I would go there. I would go put people first and adapt everything that comes after. For most companies and organizations, there must be ways to measure the success of such a project. So at Accor, how did you measure the impact of your journey of transformation? The first year, we just measured the amount of hotels who decided to join the journey because it was all volunteer-based. It wasn't obliged or mandatory. And in the first year, we had more than uh, 1,000 hotels who joined, which was like, oh, okay, perhaps we're talking something that they think it's important. When we do our NPS to the guests, of course, it's completely directed to the, to the friendliness of staff. So it's how they felt treated by the staff. In the second year, so when we launched the second wave, we saw a five-point increase in the NPS, not even 5%, but five-point increase in the NPS in the eighth and ninth, or in the ninth and tenth uh, grade, which are the ambassadors and NPS. So we saw five-point increase worldwide. In Europe, 7%. So we were like, okay, the guests are seeing the results. And that is completely linked to revenue. I don't know the math of it because we asked the geeks to do that. I'm not that mathematic. But uh, so we had that in the guest perspective, but we were waiting for the employee engagement. So what we did was this year, in the beginning of the year, we compared hotel who did do it, others who didn't do for any reasons. And we saw the, the engagement of the employees who have done the journey was more than 3% high of the hotel. So the hotels who participated in the journey had an increase of 3% in their engagement survey one year from another. So I don't know if you know this, but the engagement survey to increase in a hotel, not in a corporate, but in a hotel level, it's very tough because it's usually already very high because it's a good environment. Usually people love what they do. 
And to see that increase, it really shows that we are on the right path. But since we haven't done the engagement survey the year before, we couldn't have a comparison to say how the growth went from one year to, to another in the sense we knew that it was growing, but couldn't see the difference. So we have the, the 3% only this last year. We couldn't compare the year before, but that's the way that we prove. In the global level, it's really hard because of the network. Do we have a lot of testimonials from the hotel who had a revenue increase regarding a uh, uh, reduction of turnover of people, uh, which also is a big thing in hospitality industry. Guest satisfaction. So I have hotels becoming 9.2, 9.8 uh, in the NPS, you know, stuff like that. They were just collecting, collecting, collecting. When things became bigger, so when a lot of hotels start joining, we had the comments asking what's going on. And then our COMEX went through the journey as well. It's not the good comparison to the moment, but in, back then we said, well, we are a little bit like a virus because we didn't do any marketing. We didn't do anything and things were getting bigger. People were talking to each other in the hotel. You know, I have two hotels, one in front of other, and this one did, and they are seeing the results. So they talk to the front one and say, guess what? I'm having results because I did this journey. And they're like, what journey? And that started going on. And after that, we had our CEO asking what's going on that people are talking about. And back then, my boss was smart enough to say, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to show you. So they did the journey, not all of it, of course, but they did the main pieces with all the COMEX so they could experience it. Because when you talk about mindsets, it's about experience. So they experienced what the hotels went through. And that's when this became big. So the name of the journey was Hartis, Hartis Journey. And now every single employee of Accor, it's called Hartis. In the beginning, we were rebels. Now it became official. My last question is always the same to guests. I give you the final say. Who would you like to send a message to? And what would be that message? I will send the message to all the CEOs of any company over there. Is take care of your people. Take care of your people. I think it's so out-fashioned to have a company where you have people complaining to work there, to have people saying that they work there because they need the money, that they work there because they didn't find anything better to do. I mean, come on, take care of the people. We saw with this pandemic how people are important, how being there for each other is important, how connections are important. So take care of them. People should work for you because they believe in what you do, not because they need the money or they have nothing else to do. And it shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't be anything new, what I'm saying, you know should be basic. You should be able to sleep at night with your decisions. And you only do that if you focus on the people, if you understand that in your payroll, there are not, not only numbers over there, you know. So for me, that would be the message. Would you have a message maybe to other HR professionals listening to us? I would say it's up to them. I mean, if they don't push, if they don't provoke, if they don't defend what they believe, you might as well forget. I mean, you don't have to wait for your boss to tell you what to do and to believe in what you believe for you to make a change. The change starts with each individual one of us. If you are somebody responsible for HR department, you have the entire company in your hands, man. You have the entire company in your hands and you can do so much. And sometimes there is more decisions that you can make that can transform the life of somebody else. So pay attention on that. Make sure that you pay attention on that because it's, it's really up to each one of us. It's not up to the company, it's us, you know. Thank you, Mariana. <laughs> Thank you, Vincent. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, consider giving it five stars on Apple Podcast and a good review. It helps us a lot. Before you leave, I have one question for you. Who should be our next guest? Manager, HR professional, sport coach, CEO, managing director. Who inspires you as a team leader? Get in touch and let us know. Thanks again and see you in the next episode.